On the Sabbath day, Jesus had gone into the house of one of the rulers who belonged to the Pharisees to eat bread. But they were watching him. I mean, he already had this reputation for healing people. Between Mark, Luke, and John are recorded seven such healings. The powers that be were watching him because the wretched man kept doing these things on the Sabbath, and that was against the law. He was out of line. He was out of line. But don't forget to plant a man suffering from dropsy. And don't forget, it is the Sabbath when you invite him. Well, the lunch won't be roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Hardly what would have been what was, what was fancied. And be, but it wouldn't have been because no food could be cooked on the Sabbath. That would be work. Just have to ensure that the food offered will have been cooked on the day before, at least. And to keep it warm, just ensure it was not cooked anymore. Oh, yes, and it must not be put into oil, dregs, manure, salt, chalk, or sand, whether moist or dry, nor into straw, grape skins, flock or vegetables, if these are damp, though it may be if they are dry. It may, however, be put into cloths amidst fruit, pigeon's feathers, and flax, tow. If I sound like I'm making fun of, I apologize. But that is how it was. It was in the observance of regulations like that in the first century AD, that the scribes and Pharisees was what they regarded as religion. It's no wonder they couldn't understand Jesus, is it? And doubtless Jesus knew all these rules anyway. He'd been brought up as a good Jewish boy. But I want to put it to you this morning that he was coming from a kin Dom perspective. Not a sovereign, hierarchical kingdom perspective. His motives were caring, compassion, love-driven, not competition, power-driven. And this being his raison d'etre, it was inevitable he was to be denounced by those in charge. But he has a go at trying to help them to understand where he's coming from. So he tells them a story, a parable, about the need for humility. When joining a dinner party, don't grab the best seats. Wait until they are offered to you. And to the host he says, Don't only invite powerful people who in turn will return favours, but look for those who hardly ever have an opportunity to even attend a party. 
however the lesson is framed, Jesus is cutting right across the norm, the accepted customs of the day. Because of all that he stands for, and it's not going to be easily accepted, is it? He is advocating working from the basis of care and compassion, of creativity and the creativity of relating, of living, living authentic love. from an emphasis on the other person. God gave and gives because he so loved and loves. Jesus' vulnerability stems from his ability to so love, not just when it suits the situation, but always. And love as the popular 1960s ballad reminds us, here's a many splendid thing. But it is humble, generous, long-suffering, positive, exciting, accepting, understanding, forgiving. And it has to be authentic. God so loves, and so too it needs to be for you and for me. This is why Jesus was under the scrutiny of sincere but hostile men. The only generosity, humility, positivity, understanding, long-suffering is from the uncontrollable outflow of love of beingness, of compassion. Authentic loving is to do with kingdom, the kingdom of right relationships and not with a hierarchical kingdom. Abram Lincoln, at the end of the American Civil War, was asked how he would treat the rebellious Southerners. And he said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. In other words, he would take no offence. I couldn't help but think of the present situation in the UK with the returning young woman from the ISIS happenings. A schoolgirl, a wife, she wants to come home. The responses, according to what I was able to see on the television, are very varied. Souls of all, why will ye scatter like a crowd of frightened sheep? Foolish hearts, why will you wander from a love so true and deep? For the love of God is broader than the measure of a human mind.
and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind, wrote Frederick Frebel. <clears throat> Perhaps that some of you who don't know me anyway, who have never seen me before, are wondering why I sound a little bit different. I like to think that after 42 years here, <clears throat> I am English. But yes, South Africa is where my origins are. But Nelson Mandela, whom I know you would all know, Madiba, as he was known to the people who cared for him, a Kosa South African, raised as a Methodist, became a qualified practice lawyer, working only for rights, for justice, for his people. He was declared a terrorist when finally he gave in to the younger um, numbers and identified with those of his people who believed there was only hope for justice for them, only hope for freedom for them if they fought for it. And so he was incarcerated as a terrorist for 27 years in a room four meters by three meters and spent all day breaking stones in the baking sun alongside his fellow freedom fighters. Ultimately, he was, as we all know, I'm sure, he was released and became the first African president of the Republic of South Africa. He then joined with Bishop Desmond Tutu to organize a committee for forgiveness and reconciliation in order to avoid any further bloodshed. It was costly of time and money, but fulfilled its objective. The committee did that. Is. Despite the disagreement of many of the people from both sides, forgiveness, no offence taken as part of creative, authentic loving. And there's nothing romantic or soft about it. However, there has always been a type of Christianity which has concentrated on kingdom, i.e. a power-based understanding of Christianity which has taken all the colour, the joy out of life. Christians who have been referred to long ago as those pale-faced Christians for whom the sun shone and they never saw it. I believe it was Julian who said that. And philosopher W.M. McGregor, a dignitary of John Wesley's time, when the founding of Kingswood was taking place near Bath, and Wesley laid down that no games were to be allowed in the school grounds because he who plays when he is a child will play when he is a man. There were no holidays, and the children rose at 4 a.m. each day on Fridays, fasted until 3 in the afternoon. And McGregor claimed the whole setup was as nature-defying foolishness. 
And all of this because of the mistaken undertake understanding of what Christianity and Christian loving is really about. Jesus often thought and spoke of a feast, of a banquet, and indeed our central sacrament remains that of the Lord's Supper. John Locke, another philosopher, defined laughter as a sudden glory. Maybe that's why we so enjoy laughing. Is this not an appropriate description for Christianity? Gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms, for a Christian can be like a person who is always at a wedding feast. In his or her speech, oh sorry, in his speech after our wedding, my late beloved Laurie said he felt as if he'd swallowed a sunset. And for 59 and a half years after that, we reveled in the warmth and meaning of that, because for both of us, it was authentic. The quality of authentic loving which God gave Jesus to impart to every human being is that of regard for, acceptance of, persons with no conditions. Unconditional, positive regard. The American Indian proverb says, to understand, don't judge a person until you have walked many miles in their moccasins. Means to develop the ability to really listen to one another and therefore to be able to be truly empathetic, empathetic, to truly empathize, to feel with them, as it were. Being what and who we really are. <clears throat> In other words, congruent. What you are shouts so loud. I can't hear what you are saying. When our loving contains the regular ability to practice all three, unconditional positive regard, empathy, and congruency, we will become authentic and loving as Jesus loves. We too will be positively, creatively living as kin in the kingdom of right relationships. I put it to you that perhaps the approaching period of Lent, a time of personal stock-taking of a sort, challenging, challenging us to reflect, reconsider our own representation of that many splendid thing. Most meaningfully, as ubi amor, Deus ibi est, when there is love, God is there. W.H. Van Stone, an um, Anglican clergyman who worked mainly in the north of the England, only ever wrote one book, though he was a scholar. <clears throat> and in his one and only book, Love's Endeavour, Love's Expense, He's seeking the nature and mystery of God 
but he wrote a poem. It's now a hymn, number 12, in Singing the Faith. In closing, I would like to share with you four of the verses of that, of that poem. Love that gives, gives evermore, gives with zeal, with eager hands, spares not, keeps not, all outpours, ventures all, its all expense. Drained is love in making full, bound in setting others free, poor in making many rich, weak in giving power to be. Therefore, he who thee reveals hangs, O Father, on that tree, helpless, and the nails and thorns tell of what thy love must be. Thou art God, no monarch thou, throned in easy state to reign. Thou art God, whose arms of love, aching, spent, the world sustain. Amen.